This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's always wonderful to have opportunity to worship. 
and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight. My prayer is that you'll be blessed both by the Word and the music, and remember to invite someone else to join us on these Thursday nights. It'll be very much appreciated. Uh, would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from the 46th Psalm. What a magnificent Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I stood at Harvard, came to see the great Boston preacher Phillips Brooks one day. He shifted from foot to foot, and finally with some hesitation he said, Dr. Brooks, I was just wanting you to help me with some of my doubts, but I don't want to upset your faith. Immediately Dr. Brooks' head went back and he began to laugh. He laughed and he laughed until finally the student began to laugh with him. Dr. Brooks' laugh did more to answer that boy's question than anything else he could have possibly said. When we're sure of our ground, when we're sure out of our inner experience that we can say, I believe, I trust, we can keep our cool and for the most part live our lives with confidence. Our text, which is Psalm 46, is often spoken of as a psalm of confidence or assurance. It has more the character of a profession of faith than a prayer. As you may remember, Martin Luther based his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, on this particular hymn. And then, I don't know if you remember it or not, but he taught psalms. So his faith was based not only the book of Romans, but the book of Psalms. And as I said, his favorite was Psalm 46. But back during the Protestant Reformation, when things got so dark and Luther became depressed, he always would say to a friend of his something like this, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And here is the derivative, A mighty fortress is our God, a book never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Both the psalm and the hymn provide great comfort to God's people when they realize that these people are indeed the choice of God, the choice of God to be with them. This evening, I want to say a word about confidence. But I remember one of my theological professors said that sometimes confidence is arrogance. Well, arrogance is believing in yourself. Over the door of a saloon on the Titanic with these words, even God can't sink this ship. Well, those words of apostasy are now at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. But I want to go back and say again, confidence 
is not arrogance when it's in God. And I want to talk about this kind of confidence because this is the only kind of confidence that will enable us to go through the tough times of life. There's the problem of confidence. You know, when I was growing up, I played a lot of golf, and I played in a lot of golf tournaments. And I remember one particular tournament. I was 15 years of age and was playing in the state J.C. golf championship in Athens, Georgia. I came to the 18th hole and needed a par to shoot 79 to make the championship flight. And on the 18th tee, I hit a perfect shot right down the fairway. But when I got down there, I couldn't find the ball. The people in the foursome helped me, but we couldn't find the ball. So finally, after a search, I walked back up to the 18th tee to hit another ball. When I got back up there, there were all kinds of foursomes that had piled up. They were waiting to, to play, but they were waiting on me. Well, as a 15-year-old boy, I got kind of nervous, so I hooked the next one, sliced the next one. When I finally got the ball in the hole on that last hole, it was 16. And I'll never forget what the announcer said to the radio audience as I walked off that green. He said the most terrible round of the day happened to young Hal Brady from LaGrange, Georgia. He shot, 50, he shot 39-53 with a 16 on the last hole. Let me ask you something. What do you think that did for my confidence? Shortly after that, I went to see a golf pro, and I asked him, I said, when will I play better golf in a tournament? He said, how the day you step on the tee and know you're the best golfer in the tournament, you'll win the tournament. My problem was that I never thought I was the best, and my golf record shows it. Maybe you'll remember the old story of the young preacher who was playing the Old layman, a game of golf, this layman had beaten him every time. Well, on this particular occasion, the young preacher said to the older layman, I'm going to beat you today. Well, he lost 17 straight holes, dubbed his drive on the 18th about 30 yards. He just threw down his club and said, I quit. The older layman called him back and said, wait a minute, young fella. He said, wait a minute. He said, come back. He said, you're going to win in the end. He said, how do you figure that? I've lost i played 17 holes, and I've lost all 17, and you say I'm going to win in the end. He said, well, in the end, you're going to bury me. The preacher looked at him and said, yeah, but it'll still be your hole. <laughs> that preacher lacked confidence. Hear me now. One of the main problems with confidence is that we carry it around in a fragile human vessel, and it's so easily shattered. Let me say that again. One of the main problems with confidence is that we carry it around in a fragile human being and it's shattered so easily. Our world and our relationships are always so tentative. They change as quickly as they can and this is very unsettling to all of us. A marriage ends in divorce and the two partners lose faith in relationships. And what about the confidence of the children? We're out there on the highway and we have an accident. A couple of weeks, our cars are fixed, light new again, but we still have a little trouble with our confidence. I read about a fellow who was in an accident not long ago and they asked him if he wanted his car repaired. He said, no, because I'm not sure of myself anymore. You see, he had lost his confidence. An earthquake, a tornado, or an ice storm hit our cities. So what happens? There is a lack of confidence that develops. 
I was reading where a fellow was describing being in an earthquake in California, and that earthquake registered something like 9.6 on the Richter scale. And yet he said people were saying, this is not the big one, this is not the one they've been talking about since 1906. But then the man who was telling the story said, but I have an idea that those people who were in that particular earthquake where it registered 9.6 were very content that that was the biggest one they ever wanted to be in. You see, there again is this lack of confidence. And then what about change? What does change do for us? This change may be good or bad or local or global, but nevertheless, change tends to shatter our confidence. I want to ask you something. What about the tentacles of crime and violence? What is all that doing to the confidence of our cities and our nation and our world? Well, I'll tell you what it's doing. It's causing people to arm themselves to the teeth. People are buying all kinds of weapons because they don't trust or anybody else and everybody's suspicious to them. That's what's happening there. And then there are our own personal problems with confidence. For instance, maybe we had surgery. Maybe we lost a loved one. Maybe we lost a job. Maybe we've had some economic difficulties. Anyway, sometimes life is pretty harsh on us. And so for some people, this psalm of confidence may look like Jack and the Beanstalk or some other particular fairy tale. That's the problem of confidence. And then there's the secret of confidence. There's the secret of confidence. Now, the secret of confidence I'm talking about is no whistling in the dark kind of thing. This psalmist was not naive. He knew that life was difficult, and he knew that it caused people to have problems with their confidence. I want you to listen again to this passage as I think about it. This psalmist in Psalm 46 gives us the absolute worst-case scenario. In chapters, in verses 2 and 3, He's describing what happens to the world when an earthquake hits it or a direct hit tornado hits it. He's describing the chaos that would result from that. And to make matters even worse, in the Near Eastern understanding of things, the mountains were what held up the sky and were the foundations of the earth. So if those mountains shook or trembled as this psalm said they did, then that was absolutely the worst thing in the world. In other words, the world was falling to pieces. The world was falling to pieces. So listen carefully. Listen carefully as we talk about this. A little girl concluded her prayer in the right way. She said, and please, God, look after yourself, because if anything happens to you, we are all sunk. And that's true, isn't it? If anything happens to God, we are all sunk. But let me tell you, the psalmist on other occasions also talked about the dependability of God. What did the psalmist in Psalm 46 say? He referred to God as refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. He was saying that in the worst case scenario of all this world, God is dependable. God is still there. And so the psalmist on other occasions stressed the same thing as he talked about God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. The psalmist said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Chuck Swindoll told about in his book, Esther, told about during the Second World War, there was a comic graffiti that was put on the walls everywhere. And it simply said, Kilroy was here. That saying was on the walls in Germany. 
It was on the walls in Tokyo. It was on the boulders in America. Evidently, Kilroy was everywhere. But Swindoll went on and said, God doesn't work like Kilroy. God is silent. God doesn't work like Kilroy. God is silent. But he said, God is there every second, every minute, every tick of the clock. God is there present with us. But personally, I like the way Lloyd Ogilvie talked about God as being present and a refuge and a strength. He first of all said, God is on our side. That's nothing to take lightly. God is on our side. That's what that means. God is our refuge, our strength, and a very present help in time of need. It means God is on our side. Let me ask you something. What does it mean to have stature? What does it mean to have stature? There were three men talking about this, and one man said, well, I think you have stature when the President of the United States invites you over for a conference, and you go to meet with him. The second one said, no, stature is when the President of the United States invites you for a conference, and the hotline rings, and he just ignores it and doesn't answer it and continues giving you full attention. The third one said, no, he said, I think stature is when the President of the United States has you over for a conference, and the hotline rings, the President picks it up and says, here, it's for you. Well, what is real stature? Let's see if we can understand it from this passage of Scripture. It's, this goes this way. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are, 1 John 3, 1. We are God's children. That is our stature. And then it's not only God on our side, it's God by our side. God by our side. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God will give us the grace when we need it, but never in advance, lest we become dependent upon ourselves and not upon him. Andre Thornton was a great baseball player for the Cleveland Indians. On an occasion in 1977, he took his wife and two children on a trip into the mountains of Pennsylvania. While they were driving along, the rain shifted to snow and sleet, and they started having a lot of trouble, and the first thing you know, a tragedy occurred. They had an accident, and Miss Thornton and the daughter were killed. And then Andre Thornton made this comment, and I think this helps us to understand what I'm talking about. This is what he said. It was a gut-wrenching time. I felt as though the insides of my body were being torn out. But even at that moment, the Lord was significant. I knew that Christ was there with us in the midst of our most difficult moments. The Lord's strength upheld my son and me and allowed us to go on. The greatest thing I learned about God in that moment is that God is faithful. God is by our side. And then, thirdly, God gives us God's peace inside. What did Jesus say? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Peace is knowing that we have enough resources in the grace of God to handle anything that comes our way, and we do. So I want you to say in your own minds and hearts, God is on our side, God is by our side, and God gives us God's peace inside. And then thirdly, I want us to look at the invitation to live confidently. The invitation to live confidently. How can we, as God's people, keep faith and live confidently? 
in Psalm 46, the psalmist gives us two ways we can do that. First, listen, come behold the works of the Lord. 46, 8, the psalmist says, take a long, careful look at what God is doing in the world. And that will take great determination and great effort on our part, simply because the works of human beings are much noisier than the works of God. God does not have a public relations firm. So you have to look carefully if you're going to know what God is doing in the world. You have to look very carefully. There's a man named William Cowper. William Cowper, at the age of 32, became very, very depressed. And he decided to take his own life. So he went to the Thames River. He had a carriage driver take him there. The carriage driver realized what he was going to do, so he stopped him from jumping in the water and saved his life. Immediately he went home, Cowper did, and he took poison. But the next day somebody came by before he died, gave him an antidote, and he lived. Then he tried to kill himself by falling on a knife, and would you believe the knife broke? And then he tried to hang himself, and the next day another person came by, cut him down before he died. You see, through the matchless, unsearchable, unfathomable ways of God, he couldn't even take his own life. But here is this man, William Cowper. He, he got to know a man named John Newton. They formed a music company. You remember John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote Amazing Grace. And then William Cowper himself began to pen songs. And this is one of those he penned. Listen to these words. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he smiles, he hides a smiling face. Come behold the works of God. The second thing the psalmist said was, Be still and know that I am God. Do you know there's great power in stillness? And yet when we get flustered, we get in a hurry, and we do all these other things, we do everything but get still. One instance of powerful stillness is gravity. You don't hear gravity, but it does its thing, and it works its place. Donald Miller said that he loved the stories in the Bible where God asked individuals to build altars. He said he loved that. But God didn't ask them to build altars for himself. He said he didn't think that God would get too much value out of looking at a pile of rocks. But he said God asked these people to build altars so they could be reminded of how they were saved or how they were touched by the amazing grace of God. That was the way they would remember. That was the way they would remember. So I'm saying to you, build an altar. Be still and know that God is God. Let me tell you, it is stillness, then perspective, and then confidence. And our confidence is always in God. He is our refuge, our strength, and our very present help in times of trouble. Let us pray. Oh God, we're so thankful again for all the blessings of this life. We're thankful for the promise and the ministry that you have with us and to us and through us. We pray, O oh God, that you bless us and guide us as we seek to lift you up and bring others to you. Thank you for those who are attending this service wherever they are. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for being a part of what we're doing here, and I pray that you have been blessed and that you will be a blessing to everybody else. Have a good evening. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031 or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.